Pastor Devin. Uh, what a great day. Uh, when we were singing that, Oh Happy Day, I was so tempted to get up here and just speak as fast as I could because uh, it just kind of gets you pumped up when you think about just what Jesus has done for us. And also, this is a day in which we all have an extra hour of sleep, so you're even more just like pumped up to be in the Lord's house, right? How many, now, like, true confession here in church, how many actually did not get a full extra hour of sleep because you just stayed up an hour later? Anybody do that? All right, a few of you just erased that whole opportunity to uh, get an extra hour of sleep. Well, anyway, I was, um, I was thinking about uh, just a variety of things I want to share with you, uh, not only the things I've prepared, but the things I haven't prepared. Um, and one of the things I was uh, going to share with you is that as we were planning this series on knowing God and uh, adding to some things for you as you do your own personal study, and even if you're not a small group, you can still read the book, uh, Forgotten God, as well as do the questions in the back of the outline each uh, Lord's Day. But I want you to know, there, there was a dilemma for me. I was trying to decide which book we would give you. I, and I was thinking, Forgotten God and No One Like Him, all right? One had 186 pages and one has 879 pages. 186. And I knew you wanted the bigger book. But anyway, all right. Well, this morning we're going to be uh, looking at some things, uh, so pull out your outline, and we're going to be looking at uh, what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit. And in the book, if you had an opportunity this week, and uh, that's the challenge, is for you to read the third chapter in the book of Forgotten God. And in many ways, this is my favorite chapter because it has the most content. I, I, I'm always just desirous to, to know more and more about God, and in this particular chapter, uh, Francis uh, actually has 17 points in his, chap- in his chapter speaking about who the Holy Spirit is. Seven about who he is and ten about what he does. And always wanting to possibly go more than he did, I was going to add to those points, but I thought I'll actually kind of summarize a few. Actually, we'll only spend three, depending on time permitting, on who the Holy Spirit is and four on what he does. But I encourage you this week to really spend some time in that chapter. Uh, You have opportunity to really uh, reflect and look at what the Bible says about who the Holy Spirit is. But what I want to do this morning is begin with uh, something he put in the first chapter. And if you've had opportunity to read through it, if not, I'll tell you a little bit about what happened as he shared one of his experiences. Is that he shared the experience of being at home. Someone knocked on his door and wanted to talk to him about God. And it wasn't very long where he figured out that these two who were there at his door uh, were uh, Jehovah Witnesses. And Jehovah, if you're not familiar with that, it is a, probably not the best uh, English translation of the covenant name for God in the Old Testament, where some people refer to as Yahweh, and you can, depending upon how you look at the consonants, call him Jehovah. And they really feel that their passion is to tell people about God and tell people about Jehovah. And so Francis shares his experience, and he says, well, just then who do you think Jesus is? And they say, well, Jesus is uh, Michael. Uh, he, no, they say Jesus is the archangel. And he said, well, uh, that kind of bothers me because you're reducing Jesus just to one of the archangels. To which they say, no, he is not a archangel or an archangel. He is the archangel. And, and the only really powerful response to that is not share your opinion or what your pastor thinks or your church thinks. It is what does the Bible say? And he relates to the experience of just sharing with him in Deuteronomy, in, not Deuteronomy, in, in 
Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, it says that Michael is one of the chief or archangels. And so in this larger pursuit of knowing God, it is so critical that we know about who the true God is. And we're not really left to our own pursuits. If God is going to make himself known, then he's got to make himself known. We don't invent things about the true God. He's got to reveal it to us. We can know as we look at creation that there must have been a creator. And when we look in the power in the universe, we can realize there's a power beyond our ability to control or even understand. But if God is going to give us more about who he is, he's got to reveal that to us. And so that's what this book is all about. And so in many ways, the first question is, has God revealed himself? And if he has revealed himself, how has he done so? He has done in what some people call natural theology, and that's nothing to be scared about. But as we look in nature, we can see if we're, if we're honest at all with ourselves, this didn't happen by accident. You know, if you look at all the design within this universe, there had to be a designer. And so we know that there is a creator, but... Is he knowable? Does he want to even be known? Did he start and then go off on a vacation? You know, is God knowable? But if we're going to find out more about God, then God's got to give what they call special revelation, which he's got to, he's got to speak to us, uh, reveal truth about himself. Now, there, there are two groups of people out there. Uh, there. There are people who suppress the truth and say they don't believe in a God, and they'll call themselves either atheists which is simply a Greek word that means no God, or agnostic, which means you can't know about God. But most people really, in the deepest recesses of the heart, believe there's something out there, some supreme being. And people are incurably religious around the world. And there are all kinds of thoughts about who God is. And if you've ever been into a, a, a uh, religion class in college and probably even high school, what they do is they bring all their similarities and say, well, really, everybody believes the same. Well, if, if, you, if you read more than two sentences, you recognize they don't believe the same. We don't believe the same. You know, some, some believe that this book doesn't tell us the, the, the truth about God. But there are many people who do, but when they read it, they come up with, with different, different explanations. And so as we think about knowing God, and if you want to equate knowing God with the greatest commandment that God gave us, is to, to love the Lord your God. It, it's not simply just with all of your heart and all of your inner being, which would be your soul, but with all your what? Mind. We, we can't disengage our mind or we will not be able to discern truth. And I don't want to be fervently believing in a God that's not there or believing in the wrong God. And so I want to know what's true about God. And I shared with you, Francis, and I don't know what year he had that experience with those two who knocked on his door. And I've had many experiences of people knocking on my door or me knocking on their door to talk about spiritual things or in the relationship of just being friends with people and um, but my most recent one with a Jehovah Witness did not happen at my door, but happened in my office. We got a call in the church, and uh, there was someone who, Jamie answered the phone and said, uh, rang me up and said, there, there's someone on the other side of the line that wants to ask you a question about God. 
Well, I'm sorry, I'm too busy to ask a question about God. No. So, so I go, sure, I'd be glad to do that. So, so I answer the phone, and initially he asked the question, well, I just want to ask you a question about who God is. And so I, I begin to answer that question, and without me finishing my first sentence, he begins yelling and screaming at me. And so, you know, I'm just letting him vent, and then, then eventually he, he asks the question again. And then I begin to answer his question. Don't even get through my first sentence again, and he interrupts me. After a while, I, I, I try to bring this obvious thing to his attention. I said, well, I, I, I'd be more than glad to share with you what I believe about who God is and what's tr- true about God and how I believe that out of the Bible, but you need to let me finish the sentence. Oh, okay, and then I'd start a sentence, and again, he'd interrupt me. Now, I, I share with you this story, this experience, and he will remain nameless, but his name is Nelson, okay? And he, he, had, actually, he actually had gone on our website, listened to some of our messages uh, um, in this series, Knowing God, so he knew what I believed and what I taught. So he really, he wasn't, when he called, it was really disingenuous. Um, it really was, he wasn't really being honest. He, he didn't ask a question to get information. Okay. And not only did he not ask a question to get information, he didn't even really ask the question to be in a debate. Because if you're going to debate, how many people need to be talking? At least eventually two, right? And all I would say about this is that, and and I really have searched history, and part of what the theme of the book Forgotten God is, is that we need to go back to the Bible and, and be open to what it has to say. And again, we have to engage our mind, whoever the author is, whether he wrote 186 pages or 879 pages is that we need, as the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 and 11, they, they were noble-minded. Because they, they even took what the Apostle Paul said and compared it with other scripture to see whether he, whatever he was teaching was true. Because, because the Bible is going to be consistent with itself. And that's, that's one of the miraculous things about this book. It's a rather large book as well. It's a little bit more than 186 pages. But, but it is consistent with itself, particularly in its revelation about who God is. And, and I, I'm, I am not insecure about what I believe about God. And one of the reasons I, I, I know I'm not insecure is because when people interact with me about God, I, I don't feel like I have to yell and scream at them. I, I can engage them in discussion and debate and in reason and in argument. And, and I've tried to, and I've tried to search my heart and soul to see if I'm really being honest about this. But if someone can convince me that what I believe about God is not true, I will change. Now I don't think that's going to happen, and of course that kind of push, pushes a little tension there. But if if what people say about God that I believe in is not true, I will change. Because that's what I'm hoping for people who believe a variety of things about God would do in interacting with them about what God has revealed about himself through his Bible, through his book. That's what the word Bible means. It's biblios in the Greek. It simply means book. His book. His revelation to us. So as we think about knowing God, we want to know what is true about God. And if we can be shown what we believe is not true, then we ought to change. Now I say that by introduction because... A variety of you are at various journeys, and you are searching for God, and God's searching for you. And, and I want to let you say that you can be honest in that search. 
God will take you where you are, and if you're open to truth, he will confirm truth to you. Now, what I want to do this morning, and, and we might not get to the, everything that's in this outline, so just relax. You're thinking, we're going to stay here till 12 or 1 before the other service starts. I, I want to go back a little bit to the answer, well, who is God? Who is God? And we've stated that the Bible is clear in saying God is one in essence and three in person. Or to put it in God, there's only one God. There's one supreme being. But he has revealed to us we would not come to that conclusion on our own. I, don't, I can't imagine anyone come to that conclusion on their own. But God has revealed to us that in the oneness of God, there are three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. And God the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus. They're distinct, and yet they're equal, and yet they're one. Now, how can that be? And if you've talked with a Jehovah Witness before, they just think you, you believe in three gods. That's just ridiculous. And, and the only reason you believe that is some people in the past with these long beards and funny names... I think in the third chapter where there's a guy named Basil of Caesarea. And you think, who would ever listen to a guy named Basil of Caesarea? And I was thinking about telling you about Basil of Caesarea this morning, but I, I'll, I'll spare you that, all right? But these issues that we wrestle with now have been wrestled with throughout the history of the church. But let me just give you a few things this morning to add to, to some things you can think about why we believe that God is one in essence and three in persons. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. If you're not, just listen as I, I share that. This is probably a fundamental passage from um, the, the Jewish heritage of God revealing his truth to them. And this is, this is what a good family would recite every day of uh, their lives, and, and they would carry this with them. But just taking one verse from that section called the Shema, in Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is, what's the next? One. Now, we can look at that throughout Scripture that is, that is stated in so many different ways that God has revealed himself as one. All right? uh, we had a verse a couple years ago for our children. Uh, no, it was this week, this year. Isaiah 45, 5. The Lord your God, the Lord your God is one and there is no other. And so in Isaiah 45, verse 5, you can look at it. There's no one else. He says it both from the positive and the negative. And, and you notice sometimes when you talk with people, sometimes you've got to put it both ways. Look, I'm telling you I'm going over there, which means I'm not going to go over there. Have you ever had to do that? Okay. So he said, look, I, I, the Lord your God is one. That's the positive way to say it. And there is no other. Okay. So God has been clear about that. So then you're thinking, well, wait a minute. Okay, if God is one, how are you putting these three people as God? Well, you need to understand that, that God has been very precise in so many different ways in revealing himself and, and sometimes in, in very specific ways in terms of how he selected words to describe who he is. The Lord your God is one. Shema, hero Israel, the Lord is one. Now, the, not that you need to remember this word, and let me just tell you, what I'm going to tell you today, you could, you could look up whether you've ever taken any Hebrew or Greek, okay? The oneness there is, is both singular and plural. 
plurality in terms of, 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 of what is brought together. Okay, it's the word chad in Hebrew. Turn your Bibles to the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And, and this, is, this is, I'm going to make two points here. One, a theological point, and one, a real relational point, is what God has, how God has looked at the union of a man and a woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And if you remember the, the, the beginning is that God made man and man was lonely. He was, in, he was in, insufficient and he, he couldn't handle on his own. So he said, man, you need a helper <laughs> or, you're, or you're not going to survive. And so he brought woman in, into, into existence. And, and then he brought them together. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become, what's the next word there? One flesh. Okay, the word one there is the same word used in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, chad. And, and, and we need, here's the relational devotional point here. As we think of that commitment between a man and a woman joining together in marriage, that union should so be brought together that it cannot be separated. There's a glue that ought to, ought to cause those two people to think as one essence, as one being. And, and, and that's why, you know, when, whenever a child tries to put one parent against the other, man, that's a lose-lose situation. You know, we speak as one. And that's why God hates divorce, because it, it breaks the image and picture of, of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, plurality in the sense of oneness. But let's look at why we would believe that three persons are God. There's only one God, but why is there three persons called God? Well, look, turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. Now, now, the Father is always, <laughs> it's almost like a given. Okay, well, the Father's got to be God. Well, does it ever say that plainly? Well, there's a variety of places, but here's one that's pretty clear. John chapter 6, verses 27 through 29. This is in the experience of Jesus feeding, you know, uh, the multitude, uh, and he's the, he's the bread of life and all great statements about Jesus. But it says, do, do not labor for the food. Uh, in fact, let's jump up to verse 26. Verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, most sure, assuredly, which is Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you, seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you are the loaves, because you ate, because, and be, because you ate the loaves and were filled. In other words, if we're only going to believe in God because what have you done for me lately? Have you done anything miraculous? I prayed for this. It did happen or did not happen, and that will determine whether I believe. We should believe something because it's true, right? I mean, that's the fundamental reason we ought to believe something. And he says this, Do, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which, that endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. And so there you have the Father being referenced as God. Interesting, in verses 28 and 29, he says, Then he said to, to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, 
that you believe in him whom he sent. Now, probably the most important thing that we could ever experience in life is to know this life is going to spend eternity in a place that we want to stay. That we want to, we want to exist in a place where, where God is present and it's a place of reward, not a place of judgment. And the way we do that is making sure that we believe in God, but you cannot believe in God unless you believe in the one whom he had sent. But, but let's, let's move on where a lot of people wrestle with the plurality of God, and it's, it's Jesus. Okay? Because if, if you can get two people in the Godhead, then it's not that hard to get what? Three people. All right, well, let's, let's look at a couple things. Uh, if you're in John, turn to John chapter 5, verse 18. We've referred to this in the past before, but let me just refer to it again. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him. And if you look at the context, that him is Jesus. Because he, Jesus, not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, Nelson, as he was asking, well, what do you believe about God? How can you believe Jesus is God? This is one of the passages I turned to, but I did not get a chance to finish my sentence. All right. Well, the one thing he threw back without me being able to answer, he said, do you believe that, 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 that Jesus broke the Sabbath? Well, it's kind of like an unanswerable question. Well, in, in, well, no, you can answer that question. Here's the way he answered it. He did not break the Sabbath according to God's rules of the Sabbath, but he broke the, the Sabbath in terms of how they saw the Sabbath. But that was not why they concluded that he was making Sith out to be equal with God. That's in the next part of the sentence. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father. They would never say that. They might say our father, but they wouldn't say that was my father. That was blasphemous to them. And, and so they interpreted the words of Jesus. And, and who do you think would interpret the Bible better? Us now or those back then? Well, those who heard Jesus, they knew the language pretty well. They didn't have to translate it from Greek to whatever language they were in. They understood the culture. And so when Jesus made that statement, they accurately concluded that he was making himself out to be equal with God. And they were so angry at that, they wanted to what? Kill him. And see, that's the same thing later on in John chapter 10, where he said, I and the Father are one. What did that mean? Did he feel that was he just simply saying, "Well, we're we're one in spirit, or we think the same way, or we got the same purpose or plan?" No, they knew that when he said that, he was making himself out to be equal with God, and they picked up stones to what? To kill him. And, and so, as we look at this, we know. And, and in fact, I said this before. But if I were to make a statement that was going to bring people to throw stones at me to kill me, and what they were doing was taking something I said and misunderstanding it, what would I do? I'd try to correct them, right? No, 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 that's not what I meant. I'm not saying I'm God. I'm just saying I'm, I'm working with them. He never said that in any of the occasions. Uh, uh, turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. Since you're in the same gospel. In John chapter 20, uh, you, you have, you have uh, you know, Thomas, who's a skeptic, says, I'm not going to believe in this, 
this resurrection from the dead unless I can put my hands in his side and put my finger in his, his hands. And, and, and Jesus obviously reveals himself, and it was instant uh, confirmation that the one I spent three years with doing all the miraculous has now come back from the dead. And, and Thomas' reaction, verse 28, is, But Thomas answered and said, after Jesus, Do you want to stick your finger in any place? He says to, to Jesus, My Lord and my what? God. Now, again, if, if Jesus was not claiming to be God here, or, not, or did not believe that he was God, what would he do here? He would correct. He would correct Thomas. He said, no, 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 no. You got, you're not, I, I'm your rabbi. You know, I, I, I'm leading you. But he receives worship. And no one in the Bible ever receives worship correctly except God. And those who try almost instant judgment here on earth. And those who are followers, they, they tear their clothes and put sackcloth and ashes on. I mean, they, they don't want anyone misunderstanding that we're his representatives. We are not deity. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul, Paul says this, In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. See, the problem of, of, of saying, well, you know, Jesus is, you know, he's not... He's not quite God. You know, he's, an, he's an archangel. He's a top angel. Or some other, there's a fancy word, an emanation from God, which simply means, I don't know what that word, I don't know what it means, but he's got to be something from God. Or he's the, he's the spirit brother of Satan. You know, Satan's the bad child and Jesus is the good child. It, it, it makes no sense if you read the Bible honestly. Jesus claim to be God. And as C.S. Lewis said, that either he was a liar, he knew he wasn't, but was just trying to confuse people for whatever unknown benefit we could imagine. He was crazy, he was a lunatic, or he was Lord. And of course the Bible also says, and we won't turn to that, but in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, it says uh, of of uh, an interaction with the disciples and, and two people in the church that you've lied to God and you've lied to the Holy Spirit, equating the two. So as we believe what we know about God is as he revealed it to us, it's not something that we make up. It's what the Bible teaches clearly. Well, let's jump this morning in the next seven minutes, eight minutes, and, and do the rest of the message, all right? What does the Bible say, particularly about the Holy Spirit, that ought to change how we live as we relate to the one we often forget about? Well, let's look at a few things this morning. What should we know about the Holy Spirit? We ought to know some things about who He is. And I'm going to begin where we just left out. We ought to believe that He is God. Now, why would we believe that? There's so many ways we ought to believe that. Uh, And some are mentioned in the the book this week. I'm going to give you an additional one. Part of it is because, again, how the Bible equates the, the three persons in the, in the Godhead. Uh, look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. These are in your outline. It says, Do you not know that you are the temple of who? God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone def- defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. 
And, and the word there for you there can be, is, in, can be plural, plural, or it actually is plural. So he's either speaking to you all, you all out there who know, know Jesus Christ in a personal way. I want you to know that your bodies, the, the, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit lives within. Your bodies are the temple. Or you could say collectively, as God's church, the Holy Spirit dwells in God's church. But he's referring to, to those who know Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says this, Do you not know that your body is the temple? Sounds like a familiar theme there, right? But he says the temple of the Holy Spirit. You remember basic algebra of A equals B and B equals C, then A equals what? C. See, if, if your body is the temple of God, and, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit better be who? Better be God. And, and, and this is so critical because, again, if, if we're going to know God in, in, in truth and in fullness, then we cannot somehow diminish who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, there's, a, there's a survey done just recently in terms of what, what people in church, people who uh, go to church regularly, believe about basic truth in this scripture or theology. And the question was asked in, in relationship, do you believe in the Trinity? And the answer was yes. Do you believe that the Father is God? Yes. Do you believe the Son is God? Yes. Do you believe the Holy Spirit is God? Yes. But then there were some follow-up questions that were rather troubling. And, and, and one of the troubling questions is, well, do you believe that Jesus is more divine, he's more God than the Holy Spirit? And the heartbreaking result of that survey is there was a significant percentage that sought somehow that Jesus was more God than the Holy Spirit. And going up the chain, they, they kind of felt that a little bit too. Well, is, is, is the Father more divine than Jesus? And some thought that as well. Look it. If Jesus is God... The Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. There is no gradation there in terms of more divinity. Either they are God or they are not. God is not going to share his glory with anyone other than himself. So as we think about the Holy Spirit, and as we get to know him more personally and biblically, he is fully God. Secondly, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is one who has emotions. And this is true. And again, some people, it's interesting. Some people, they look at the Bible and say, well, there's a God of the Old Testament and there's a God of the New Testament. You ever heard that? I'm sure glad I have the, we have the God of the New Testament, not the God of the Old Testament. Look at God has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? Now, how he's worked with us, how he's brought us along, how he's fully revealed himself has changed. But he has never changed. And, and part of that you can see, you can parallel verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament together. For instance, Isaiah 63.10. But they revealed and grieved his Holy Spirit, so he turned against them as an enemy and he fought against them. And I don't have time to unpack what was happening in Isaiah 63. But I, Ephesians 4.30 says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Actually, multiple truths in that passage concerning the Holy Spirit. But this, this aspect, 
You can't grieve someone. You can't make someone sad. You cannot make someone disappointed with you unless they have an emotional part of them. And we believe that we can know a personal God. And every part of the Trinity is personal. And just like often when you're trying to describe and explain what sin is to a child, there's a variety of ways you can explain that, but I really like when I was taught a number of years ago, when we sin, when we do things that are wrong, it makes God sad. And, and so in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, we need to recognize the one who indwells us in, in this body, which is a temple in terms of God's perspective, that when we, when we do things that dishonor, displease Him, it breaks His heart. And so just relationally, we, we, we don't want to do that which brings pain to God. Thirdly, and this one um, I really wish we could spend more time on, because often we never think of it this way. The Holy Spirit is Lord. Now, we, we looked in the Old Testament. This is another reason why I, why I believe the Bible is so clear in terms of how it expresses itself about who God is. God the Father is referred to as Lord. God the Son is referred to as Lord, and the Holy Spirit is referred to, what? As Lord. And we're going to see that just really quickly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, we, we don't use, you know, lordship in our culture, particularly in America. That was one of the things we wanted to leave, you know, Europe from. We didn't want to have any king over us. But lordship is a person who, who calls the shots, who, who makes the choices, who, who governs in, a, um, in a, an authoritative way of his subjects. And we need to realize that, that the Holy Spirit is sovereign, Lord, takes control. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, it says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And combine that, 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as He, what? Wills. Have you ever tried to tell God what to do? I, I have. I, I often have. Often my, if I would analyze my, some of you turn the pages. I didn't tell you to turn the page yet. I mean, just wait, relax, okay? Is that, is that we often, our prayers are just telling God, God, just, do this and we're you know we're asking him to move circumstances and change people and and uh, deal with issues that we're going through and 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 maybe make us into something we're not have you ever tried that man god i just want to be able to do this and do it so much better than i'm doing now or can you make me like that person and god says look it i i made you to be you and anytime we try to be somebody we're not we're telling god yeah you made a mistake and whatever gifts we have, abilities we have, that, that are particularly significant with us, and we say, well, can I trade that in for something else? God said, I've given you what I wanted you to have according to my will. And, and the only way we can understand it is that he is Lord. He decides how to use us and where to use us and with whom <laughs> to use us. The Holy Spirit is Lord. And in our, in our 
experience with him, we need, we need to, again, not somehow diminish that, that we can manipulate what the Spirit of God does in our life. Now, there are other things you're going to read in your book this week, but who is the Holy Spirit? He is, he is God. He is emotional. He is Lord. He, he makes choices that we cannot make for ourselves. Now you may turn your page. All right. All right, I, I'm obviously not going to preach this this morning, but let me just make some statements. What, what he does, and this is just an introduction to what he does. There's so many things, and Francis is not exhausted in his book this week, but what does he do? He, he helps us speak. In, in uh, Luke chapter 12, verse 12, he says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, that's primarily related to the disciples and the apostles as they were put in positions of, of portraying truth. But in application, it's for us as well. And it's often the most precarious situations when we're most nervous. God, I don't want to mess this up. God's right there. And he will empower you to speak how he wants you to speak. And, and what he wants you to say. But you need to lean upon him. And we're going to be talking more about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and walking the Spirit. But God will, God will give us the, the ability to communicate. And that's really what it, we're talking about. Anyone can say words out of their mouth that don't, that, that, unless you have a physical inability to do that. But the issue, are you communicating? And God will enable you to communicate. So I wasn't going to preach, and I'm starting to preach. All right. Question number, uh, point number five, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that, that passage is filled with insight concerning the role of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who draws people to himself, convincing that something is wrong. You wonder, how, how do, why, do, why do I feel something's missing in my life? Because God's speaking to you that you've fallen short. Why do I feel I, I need to make a, 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 a statement and a move and a decision to follow more faithfully? Because God convinces you there's, there's a judgment coming. Why do I believe that Jesus is really who, who can solve it? Because he's the righteous one. And that's the Spirit of God working in our lives. Number six, the Holy Spirit empowers us to clean up our mess. And this is, this is a verse we want to memorize this month. I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I was talking to Logan right before the service and I said, you know what that verse means? He goes, nope. Okay. That means when, when you're dependent upon God in your life, he will change your desires and, and you won't do things that are just selfish. And, and we all struggle with that. But when we walk in the Spirit, he guides us in, in overcoming that. And the Holy Spirit, number seven, is the one who fills us with love. And there's so much we could say about that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. And God's Holy Spirit wants to pour his love out in our lives. And when we're, we're not experiencing the love that touches us in our the deepest place is something's wrong in our relationship with God. So what's the point this morning? Do you know God as he's revealed himself? And, and do you have an intimate relationship with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit he's left for all of us? God, God wants to touch down in each one of our lives so we might know him deeply. Now we had Halloween this week and it was just, it was interesting as I was watching children go with, you know, their parents, and particularly if they're young in age, you know, have you ever noticed a child when they're walking in on, on, on level ground, they, they do pretty good on their, on their own, man, they're just like going, and then all of a sudden when it gets a little bit uneven, 
they'll reach out and often they'll want you to grab their finger. You know, so just grab my finger, you know. And if it's even more dangerous, they might look for, you know, two fingers to be grabbed. But when it's like crazy, they're not, they're not wanting you to grab, they don't want you to grab your finger. They want you to grab their hand. You see, that's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in each one of your lives. He, he doesn't want to just kind of touch you. He, he wants to grab your hand, grab your life, and hold on to you to be what you, God has intended you to be. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're so amazed at who you are. And Father, we just really pray in the midst of all that we do that we might fall more and more in love with you and more dependent on you. But Father, it all, all begins with a, a step, as Jesus said, a step of faith in believing the one whom the Father has sent. Just like he was to send the Holy Spirit, we have to believe in the one who fully reveals who God is, and that's Jesus. If there's anyone here this morning that hasn't surrendered to Jesus by saying, God, I want to know you. I want to have your son die. I, I, your son has died on the cross for me, and I want him to pay the penalty for my sins. I want him to forgive me, and I want to follow him. And if you really pray and ask Christ to come in your life, He'll answer that prayer. And this morning as we have opportunity to remember what he's done through communion, as we go to the table and remember the bread, which remembers, reminds us the body which was broken for us, and the cup which symbolizes his blood that was poured out for us. It's a, it's a statement we believe that when Jesus came, that his work on the cross was sufficient for us to know the one and only true God. Father, help us to continue to worship you as we Reflect upon who you are and what you've done. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen. We invite you to come the, to the tables to my left and the right. It's a self-serving experience. It's an opportunity to take the bread and the cup and take it to where you're seated. And then when you're prepared in your heart to remember him, then we invite you to take of the bread and take of the cup. And just thank God for sending God the Son for us so that we might know Him. As the deer panteth for the water so my soul